From KVLU Public Radio in Beaumont, Texas, this is Bayou Lands Talks, a companion podcast where we're sharing some of our favorite conversations with a wide range of guests that we've interviewed for the KVLU radio documentary series, Bayou Lands, a program exploring the people and places of Southeast Texas since 2016. This is Shannon Harris. For this episode, we're sharing a conversation I had in early 2019 with the Historic Preservation Officer for Johnson Space Center, Sandra Tetley, who led the team responsible for the restoration of historic mission control. Also included in the conversation were team members David Buchek and Adam Graves. At the time, the team was working diligently to complete the restoration in time for the 50th anniversary of the first lunar landing. We hope you enjoy. This is Shannon Harris. On a beautiful day in Austin last month, I had the pleasure of attending the Texas Historical Commission's Real Places Conference. One of the highlights for me was a session led by the team responsible for the restoration of the Apollo Mission Control Center at Johnson Space Center. In operation for 30 years and guiding such missions as the first lunar orbit, the lunar landing, and bringing home the crew of Apollo 13, Mission Control received a National Historic Landmark designation in 1985. After the well-attended session, I spoke with the presenters about this timely restoration project. Thank you so much for speaking with me this afternoon. The focus of this project is the restoration of the Apollo Mission Control Center. Correct. We started five, almost six years ago, and only because it was delayed that long is that now um, we will be open and ready by the 50th anniversary. We may have a few things to do, but... Um. Can you just uh, give a little bit of background as to why this project came to be, how that happened? Basically, when I became Historic Preservation Officer in 2009, um, just learning about my facilities um, and the Building 30 is a National Historic Landmark, and the Apollo Mission Control is sort of the, the the jewel on the crown, so to speak. So, and it was in deplorable condition. Um, it had been vandalized. It was wide open to anyone who wanted to go into the room, bring people into the room, sit at the consoles. They would bring uh, the co-ops in, and they'd fill out their paperwork and drink coffee and you know eat there. And there was no controls, no rules, no anything. And so it had been degraded quite a bit, and it looked really bad. And so. I applied for a heritage partnership grant with the National Park Service for $5,000 because um, I'd kind of gotten my management to do a few repairs and fix it up kind of things and I wanted to do a visitor experience so that when the visitors came into the viewing room that they kind of got the, the audio and the visuals and kind of experienced the moon landing. And so the Park Service was very interested and came down and they offered me $20,000 and a matching $20,000 for the historic furnishings report. And so we had that done and that is what um, is the, the, the basis of the actual historic restoration. As you can tell, there was quite a lively conversation going on in the room as we recorded our interview. And one of the audience members came up to introduce himself. It's nice to meet you. Rick Hannigan, my father was a flight controller. Oh, no way, what was his name? Hannigan. What's Jim. first name? Jim Hannigan. He was Lunar Module Branch Chief in Apollo. Oh, that's cool. Wow. Do you ever remember going up there and seeing it at all? Yeah. And you left one thing out. When you open it, it needs to be full of smoke. Oh, well, we yeah, we knew that, actually. <laughs> and it needs to be no lock key on it, because they would only lock it during flight. Otherwise, you could go in and out without security anytime you wanted. It's been that way till we finally shut it down for restoration. 
Yeah, anyone could go in. Yeah, there my now. big question was did you get the ashtrays? That was, we're getting them. And, and we're also getting cigarette butts. everywhere and ashes everywhere. Mm -hmm. They saved um, cigarette when they were cleaning the consoles. They All the cigarette butts, they've saved all those. No, this is a great project. Through the restoration, what are you trying to accomplish for the visitor? I think it's to give them an authentic experience about what what the room was like and what the capabilities that these, these teams of folks had uh, in order to achieve this accomplishment. It's, it's still amazing they did it with you know, these massive rooms of computers that had less computing power than, than a current iPhone does. Um, and just to see what they saw when this happened is to let everyone else experience, to have, to experience what they experienced is really what's, is, you know, by doing it this way, we'll be able to do it. If, if we allow like a Walt Disney approach where someone can make up what, and have all kind of videos running, I mean, then the folks who were coming in would really not understand what they're looking at. They would be, a presentation would occur, but it wouldn't be authentic. And I think that it's one thing um, today, but 50 years from now when technology is even more uh, advanced, this will become even more important because frankly, there, there won't be that many places that are still intact representing this point in time. Gene Kranz played a crucial role in this project. So let's talk about the role of Gene Kranz. So a year after we had the historic furnishings report done, uh, it took them a year to do it, we had a workshop and he couldn't come to it so he sent Ed Vendell. And so after the workshop, uh, Ed Vendell said the Apollo flight controllers were on board 100%, they were behind us. So Mr. Kranz would write a letter of support to our center director. And so we were excited. We thought, oh, this is great. You know, we're going to go do this. And this was back in 2014. And she basically blew him off. Um, he stayed on her for a while. And so she relented and put together a team to restore it. But it was external relations or public affairs was going to run it. And then flight operations was going to be the other co-chair. And they immediately went into visitor experience. And so the second meeting, they had a guy from uh, a company that does work for Disney World come in and, and take on the visitor experience with no discussion at all about historic restoration or anything. And um, Mr. Kranz and Mr. Fendel went to those meetings, and Mr. Kranz was very vocal to the point where he just quit coming to the meetings because he could see the writing on the wall. And he just kept on the center director, kept the public attention on it, and kept writing letters and contacting her and just banging the drum until um, finally the Houston Chronicle picked it up and then he wrote a letter to everyone in the Park Service, our senators, congressmen, our administrator of NASA, I mean everyone. They finally broke down and relented. He also appeared on national uh, news organizations. He talked about it nationally on yeah. primetime television and now the whole country was hearing about it and I mean the one thing about the project is that everyone you meet that had some association with this room and there, there are people around the globe that this there are people working around the globe that were communicating to this room and these controllers to make this happen all these uh, satellite stations and you know they were um, on, on the ground around the globe they were communicating so there were teams all over the place that were part of this and so um, the both the public, but also these all these other folks are very invested in this room and what it meant. They they recognize this this achievement, and so um, it's very clear to everyone else that it's important and you should do it. But when you get to NASA, I mean, everyone's focused on the next the next thing, the exploration, going to Mars, and going to other missions. And so, given that funding for NASA is always has been dwindling, 
they prefer that all resources go toward exploration into the next thing. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I understand why that is. And that's why the money had to come privately to do the restoration to represent all the interest of those folks who also see the value in this. So that, that's how we had to approach it. And then you also, the city of Webster played a fundamental role in this as well. They were the role, right? They gave um, $3.1 million right out of the box and with a matching 400000 for a Kickstarter campaign. But we didn't even get the 3.1 all up front. We got it in chunks. We got a um, million dollars, one like one November, and then we got 700 in March, and then we got 300, another set. And the Kickstarter money we weren't even going to get because Space Center Houston was using it. But the Houston Chronicle asked about it and how that was going and where's that money, and so they sent that money to us. So we've had this piecemeal money flowing in trying to get this project completed and scheduled and we have four different tasks with we've combined it into one schedule but I mean it's it's four different contracts basically that are trying to meld into one and then the centers put in uh, about seven hundred thousand dollars the detail of this project is phenomenal huge. yeah yes um, Adam would you like to speak about what was the most challenging aspect of that the most challenging aspect is really determining what's really supposed to be there. Um, you know, through very limited resources, photographs, videos, interviews, knowing you just get a snapshot of, of what was really there during the Apollo moon landing. And, you know, it's a very specific t period of time. You know, we have tons of photographs and video from, you know, all the Apollo missions. Um, in Apollo 12, there's a lot of photographs. In Apollo 11, there's not that many photographs. In Apollo 11, there's really terrible video. Um, in Apollo 12, it's it's much better. There's there's great stuff of, of what the consoles look like and, and all the lit buttons and things that would be very helpful for our Apollo 11 uh, display uh, restoration. So really sorting through all that information that's that's limited, but then you know you also have some competing ideas on on what was what was really there from interviews. You know, people just remembering things differently than what you see it in a photograph. Um, really trying to get that a clear picture of, of what it is that is real and then we have you know we get lucky as we as we do more research and we get into the work a little bit more and find you know hidden pieces of fabric here and there to, to tell us what was on the wall so really that that I feel like the research and, and that that part of it has been the most challenging part is what what is really supposed to be here so what does the timeline look like? So what we're doing is we are focusing actually on the MOCA itself, which is the, the control room with the consoles. We want that to be as 100% finished as possible. And then the visitor's viewing room would be next. So we'll have a ribbon cutting sometime in the first part of July that will be everyone, all of us who've worked on it, you know, will get to, to be in there and, and the flight controllers will get to, you know, celebrate it being there. And then after that, the flight controllers themselves will have their own 50th anniversary celebration in the room and with their wives and spouses and family and all that and they have a, a really big celebration set up for that and it's interesting right now that we're we have as the anniversary gets closer there's a lot of news agencies and a lot of um, you know different kinds of publicity that wants to be shot in there or seen in there or, or you know interview Mr. Kranz in there and so we've basically you know had to say no to most of that and as it gets closer we may have 
ability to do that in some respects but um, we've they've actually said look y'all get it restored and then mr crans can have an interview somewhere else or they can come in for a little bit and take some pictures or take some video but you know that this project has priority right now so that's that makes us feel good <laughs> well thank you so much for the work that you all have done i think maybe you said it and we had some people in the audience say it as well this is an important moment in history and it's a wonderful thing to memorialize it in this way. It is. It thank is. you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks to our guests for this episode, Sandra Tetley, David Buchek, and Adam Graves. More information about this project, including photographs detailing the painstaking restoration process, is available online at spacecenter.org. If you enjoy the conversation shared in Bayou Lands Talks, Please remember to share and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. And join us on social media at 91.3 KVLU Public Radio on Facebook and Bayou Lands on Instagram. Bayou Lands Talks is produced in the studios of 91.3 KVLU in Belmont, Texas by Shannon Harris and Jason M. Miller. Thanks for listening. <laughs>